uh, to your point about what you know pops the next bubble. It's going to be something credit related. What causes that that pop or that credit issue? Um, again, we don't know. It could be a big bank failure. I mean, Deutsche Bank is certainly a candidate for that. Um, there's a lot of other banks overseas that are on the verge of bankruptcy. You got countries on the verge of bankruptcy as well. Uh, these negative yields we're seeing across countries certainly suggest that something's much weaker uh, on a global basis than even what headlines are suggesting. So, you know, I wish I could tell you that it's going to be, you know, it's going to be the next Lehman that's going to be the problem. Unfortunately, nobody will know. But this is why it's important as investors, don't wait for the event to occur. If you wait for the event to occur, it's going to be too late to do anything about it. You're going to get swept up into the emotional panic of what it is, and you're not going to take the, the right actions. Thanks for watching this RTD interview. Don't forget to pick up your RTD Scary George Round, only available at sdbullion.com. Now enjoy this interview. Welcome to Rethinking the Dollar. Today I'm excited to have first-time guest, Mr. Lance Roberts. He's a chief investment strategist as well as economist for RIA Advisors. Today he's joining us to share his thoughts on the global economy as well as the financial markets and a variety of other subject matters. So, Mr. Lance Roberts, thanks for joining us here on Rethinking the Dollar. Happy to be here, Michael. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to sit down and share your thoughts and opinions on what's going on around us. A lot of things are unfolding and definitely want to dive into uh, the G7 meeting this past weekend. We got the Fed, possible interest rate cuts coming and we can go on and on. But before we dive into those things, I'm curious to find out your thoughts. And so what comes to mind when Lance Roberts hears the words rethinking the dollar? Well, I think it's an important concept because, you know, as the U.S., we are the reserve currency of the world. And if you look historically uh, through time, um, reserve currencies kind of shift countries about every 200 years. Now, nobody actually ever talks about the reason why reserve currencies shift countries every 200 years. And if you go back, it strictly relates to what happens economically to these countries that destroys the value of those, of those countries, uh, whether it was England or France or Rome. It ultimately came to the fact that they indebted themselves to a level that the, that the debt growth became unsustainable and eroded economic prosperity to the point that people lost faith in the currency. Now, you know, when you take a look at the fact we're running a one and a half trillion dollar deficit for our government, that's going to be running up to two trillion by the end of next year, household debt, corporate debt at record levels. Uh, we've got 13, uh, sorry, 17 trillion dollars in debt today, sovereign debt now running negative yields. Um, that certainly all puts pressure on the value of the dollar. So certainly something that people should be thinking about. Well, I do agree. I appreciate you sharing your thoughts on that. So I'm curious to find out, you know, as, a, as I hit start off, there's a variety of things unfolding right now. You know, what are some things that uh, probably has you the most concerned? You listed a lot of key tipping points there, but a lot of people say that we're in the biggest asset bubbles of, of all times. And so I'm curious to find out, you know, as an economist, as a strategist, uh, what are some things that concerns you? and What are you keeping an eye on that really has you glued in? Sure. And I think that's a great question. Um, the reason is that it's an important question is it's also important relative to time frames. So, for instance, when you and I talk about, um, you know, government debt, right? Uh, Japan's been running 230 to 320 percent of debt to GDP for 30 years and uh, they're still going. Right. So 
some things take a very, very long time to unfold and, and really it's too long for investors as individuals um, to really kind of focus on those ideas. So when we talk about things that are important shorter term, things that are happening now that may impact our wealth, our portfolios, our families, our jobs, um, those are things that come down to really more immediate impacts trade wars, tariffs, uh, what's happening with interest rates, what's happening, of course, globally with uh, economic growth, negative interest rates. Those are the things that people should be looking at much more closely here because you did uh, had an interesting point about the asset bubble. We've created a bubble, not just in stock prices, valuations are back to the second highest level on record, high as they've been since 1929. Uh, that scares everybody right there. But um, what's even bigger is the fact that we've got a one and a half, almost $1.6 trillion worth of what's called leveraged loans in the markets. These are corporate debt that has been taken on by companies that have less than stellar balance sheets. And if we have a, a crack in the market, a, a slowdown in the economy, there's a real risk that a lot of these businesses are going to go bankrupt. And we're watching this already happen in the energy sector. Now you go, Lance, don't, you know, don't freak out here. It's just one and a half trillion dollars. Uh, just a quick reminder, the subprime mortgage crisis was 600 billion, half of mortgage debt. And mortgage debt only affected a household, right? So I'll lose my, I'll lose my house, I, you know, I'm out of a house. Corporate debt's a different story because when the company goes bankrupt, you lose thousands of jobs around the country. So if we have a wave of bankruptcies, the impact to the economy and the markets is gonna be a lot greater than people expect. Right. And so a part of the whole economic slowdown or or some people want to say recession that's probably underway or, or, or looming, there's been a lot of reports about a massive amount of layoffs. And so uh, here in Metro Detroit area, GM, Ford, everyone's restructuring now. And so are we officially in a economic slowdown, i.e. a recession, in your opinion? Well, you know, when you look at the data, the answer is no. Right. The problem with the data is the economic data is just like we saw here recently. The GDP board report was revised and much slower economic growth in 2018 than what was original, originally reported. Corporate profits were revised down. So by the time we get to 2020 and we revise down the 2019 years, we may find out that we were actually in a recession later in the year, maybe third quarter, fourth quarter this year. Um, it's a little too early to say that we're in a recession. And, and, and I think it's important, Michael, that we, we talk about one thing here real quick. Recessions are not a bad thing. They're actually a good thing. Um, when you hear about it from the media, it's like, oh my God, recession, you know, run away with your hair on fire. Uh, <laughs> the problem is, is that if we didn't have hangovers, we'd all be alcoholics. Um, <laughs> because you got to have the hangover, you know, to get rid of the excesses that you build up during kind of the greed cycle. Um, and so we've, we've attached this misnomer to recessions like, oh, they're a terrible thing. The only reason they're a bad thing now is because the Federal Reserve and the banks and other things do things to extend the cycle. We run up more, we lower interest rates, bring on more debt. So we create these bubbles that the outcomes when we do a reversion, when we have the hangover, so to speak, it's a really, really bad hangover. And instead of letting cycles happen, you know, economically through a normal process, they wouldn't be as bad, they'd be more frequent, um, but it would actually be healthier for the economy. So. Monetary policies led to this boom-bust cycle, and yes, unfortunately, we're set up here for another bust. And you know, the problem with trying to forecast a recession is that you never know exactly what's going to be the trigger. Um, you know, when you go back to 2007 as an example, you know, everything was there: subprime debt, the the credit card debt, the housing debt. It was all there. What you needed was a trigger, and that was Lehman. 
So what's going to be the trigger that, that you know, topples confidence and, and cracks the markets? I don't know. Um, you know, it could be Deutsche Bank. It could be, it'll be something, most likely be something that you and I aren't even talking about. Uh, it'll be something that crops up out of nowhere, something that surprises the markets and traders and, and creates kind of the, the landslide. Right. And so my, my question is, you know, uh, given the fact that this business cycle has been what I like to consider artificially induced by being extended a little bit longer than a typical, I guess, every six, seven years a recession occurs or economic slowdown. But yet our Federal Reserve Chairman, uh, Jerome Powell, has made it clear that he's very concerned with keeping this economic expansion going. Therefore, we're beyond 10 years now. And so since it's been an artificially created zero, is it quantitative, is all those monetary policies, are, are you concerned or is there something we should be concerned about as uh, as this thing corrects, that we might have an extended correction of, of um, discomfort and pain and things we've never experienced before, possibly? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so, Michael, I'm trying to be a little bit positive here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want people like turning you off, right? It's like, oh my gosh. Uh, no, seriously. Uh, look, to your point, um, everybody's terrified of a recession. Why are they terrified of a recession? The reason that the central bank, uh, the Federal Reserve in particular, and central banks globally are terrified of a recession or slowdown, the reason they're doing you know, interest rate cuts and quantitative easing and everything they can to extend the cycle is because we never actually recovered from the last recession. Um, you take a look at balance sheets. Yes, they're better, but they're not great. They're not stellar. Um, you take a look at, and again, go back to the debt issue. We have a lot of, of, of debt that is on the verge of becoming junk rated. So when, if, if, the, if the debt slides off into junk rating, this is, this is a risk that a lot of people don't talk about. You look at the amount of bonds that are called, that are triple B rated. If there's about 50% of those bonds, and it's a large number, trillions, that are on the cusp of sliding into double, double B rating, which is junk. So, so what, right? What if that happens? Well, all those bonds that are triple B rated are held by pension funds, mutual funds, investment managers that have mandates that they cannot own junk debt. So immediately, if those bonds slip into junk ratings, you have a massive liquidation of debt across the board and, uh, and, a, and an inability for a lot of these corporations to refinance. And if they can't refinance the debt, you've got bankruptcies, you've got really bad outcomes. And the Fed's aware of this. And so only having 2%, they were never able to raise interest rates, only got to 2%, two and, and all of a sudden the world stopped. And, you know, I've been a bond bull for a long time. I've been saying, hey, buy bonds, interest rates are going to zero on the 10-year treasury. You know, when, when Jeff Gunlack and Bill Gross were talking about interest rates going to 6% back in 2013, I was writing articles about, no, interest rates can only go lower. The reason is, is that we are debt laden everywhere, credit card debt, housing debt, corporate debt, government debt. Everything, everything that's been driving economic growth has been through debt. So if you have a small uptick in interest rates, it increases debt service, and immediately the world stops. The Fed got from 0% to 2%, auto sales stopped, housing stopped, you know, markets stopped. I mean, everything just stopped, and that was only with a 2% increase. So the Fed knows they're trapped. They only have 2% to lower rates. They now know that negative rates don't work. Negative rates actually crush the banks. That's what's happening in Europe right now. So they know their policy is extremely limited. And this is why Trump's so upset. Trump, uh, President Trump wants uh, the Fed to cut interest rates by 1%, restart QE. The Federal Reserve saying no. 
um, we're, we're, we're watching the economic data and we're going to move very patiently here because they don't have much room to work. And if they make a policy mistake, use that ammunition too soon, and then the recession hits, then it's, it's worse because they've got no ability to fight it. Wow. Between a president is very vocal with using, using social media about his disapproval with Jerome Powell. I've never in my lifetime heard about a president bashing the, the Federal Reserve chairman, but yet it looks like it's, it's a back and forth. And unfortunately, I think the people who are stuck in the middle happen to be the citizens and the holders of the Federal Reserve note. And so just last week, uh, Mark Carney mentioned about the dollar and the need for people to begin, I guess, de-dollarizing more and looking beyond. And he gave us some suggestions based upon the Facebook Libre or whatever. What are your thoughts about that? Is, is, do you foresee this, this next downturn being a catalyst for more nations to really begin questioning um, the, the ability of the U.S. to still rank, uh, maintain the reserve status uh, of currency-wise? Yeah, look, I think that's a, a process that's already been started to a great degree. Um, you know, when you take a look at the geopolitical tensions that have been rising, not just domestically, but globally, there is a, there's already been movement. Uh, China and Russia and Iran and others have come together to try to form some type of uh, different transmission system for executing transactions. But let's take, one, let's take a step back for just one second uh, to make sure everybody understands the importance of being a dollar reserve. When you want to trade any commodity in the world, uh, whether it's gold or oil or soybeans, it's traded in dollars. Everywhere in the world, if I if so, and this is the 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 beauty of being a reserve currency. So we have some control over that valuation. If we lose that status uh, as reserve currency, it has a whole ramification of negative impacts to the strength and stability of the United States. But the reason that the dollar remains the reserve currency is for two reasons. One, we have a very deep, very deep liquid market of U.S. currency. Uh, so if you need to transact a trillion dollars, you can do it in dollars. You can't necessarily do that in, um, you know, Zimbabwe dollars, as an example, uh, or Brazilian real, whatever it is. There, those, those currency markets aren't deep enough to handle major, major transactions. The second thing is, is that we have the, the faith of the U.S. government that we have rule of law, that if you do business here, as opposed to, say, Nigeria, um, that your, your contract will be honored. And so if you enter into a business arrangement, you've got legal recourse, you've got rule of law, and that gives credit and credibility to the full faith of the government supporting the dollar. Remember, we're all on fiat currencies now. There's no currency that's backed by gold or anything else. It's all just the good faith and government of the government. So it's very important to have that credibility. Unfortunately, our politicians, and I'm not just saying President Trump, it's been our congressmen, it's been our senators, it's been a whole variety of other legislation, legislative actions or really over the last 20 years are starting to erode that faith in government. Uh, one of the big ones was during the financial crisis. Um, we basically ignored contract law relative to mortgages. Uh, we let banks off the hook with no responsibility whatsoever uh, in order to try to save the banks. We chose corporations over the individual that impacts the validity and value of the rule of law. And that's gonna to continue to kind of weigh on us forward. And this is why you've seen a rise in Bitcoin, Libra, uh, these other alternative payment systems. Those are not the place to, to migrate to. You can speculate them and, and speculate in Bitcoin and those type of things. Um, the digital currency of the future will be owned by a government. No government, let me just say this, no government will ever allow 
a external currency to become a primary currency because that's how you control the flow of money through through a country, right? So when we look at our velocity of money, this is why you look at your dollar bill, it says the only legal tender, <laughs> and that's the only way you can conduct business. Ultimately, the US, England, France, everybody will have a digital currency, um, which will be great. I mean, it'll be wonderful for transactions. But if we lose the value of that full faith of the government, there's a whole lot of negative things that happen. And unfortunately, with our debt structures and the things we're doing, we're pushing ourselves in that direction. With final, final question with that, before we get to solely a digital currency, which it seems like that's where everything is being ushered into, uh, they have to do something about cash. And so in Australia, they have some restrictions. No law, you can't do transactions over 10,000 Australian dollars. And then in the EU, I think it's a certain country has, you, you can't do cash transactions over 1,000 euros. So cash will become problematic, especially uh, if banks end up having to go negative and therefore created some issues with deposits, you know, what are some steps that might lead to, in your opinion, us go, usher, being ushered into the solely a digital economy? Um, we're already in that process. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to get there. I mean, when, you know, it's interesting, you go to the store and you whip out, you know, a $20 bill, people all in the line look at you because they're like, would you just pay with your debit card <laughs> so we can move on? Uh, you know, but, you know, people don't, people are moving away from dealing with currency. And, and you've seen this over the years, right? You go into stores now, we won't accept over a $20 bill. Um, you know, you go in, in you, and look, we have limits at the bank, you, you know, do a transaction over $9,999 and it gets reported to the IRS. There's a lot of reasons, uh, legal wise, et cetera, to move away from, from currency. It, it can reduce crime. It makes doing, um, uh, transaction, illegal transactions, much more difficult when you're not dealing with, when you're dealing, you know, not able to deal with cash. So we're moving in that direction. It's just a function of time until we get there. Um, but if, to prepare for that, you know, it's also a function of being secure. So, you know, this is why, you know, as a, as a, as an investor, we own gold in our portfolios as a hedge against inflation, D dollar is uh, dollar risk, um, et cetera, in our, in our portfolios. Personally, I also own physical gold because ultimately it's, it's a, it's a hedge against a, a economic collapse, right? And that's the only reason you have it, because ultimately, if you ever fall back to a barter system, gold will have real value. The, the, ultimately, though, as we move away from a digital, into, away from cash into a fully digital currency, the issue of the full faith in credit becomes a much bigger issue. And this is why, ultimately, governments are going to control whatever digital currency it is, it will be controlled, and it won't be able to be held outside of, of, of a government, because they won't lose control of that. Right. I like how you, you, you start to transition to precious metals. And so as of now, as of the last couple of weeks, especially based upon all the economic turmoil and things happening uh, around us, you know, gold and silver has increased in nominal value a little bit. Therefore, it's starting to get some main uh, mainstream attention. And so in your opinion, you know, where do we go with the gold price of gold and silver? I mean, the ratio is very distorted. Will we see those? Because you know, uh, outside the U.S., every currency pretty much, for the most part, has already reached its all-time high in gold prices right. and silver prices probably not here in the U.S., but yet, what will the actual price look like in the years ahead if we get to that point, in your opinion? 
Well, uh, you know, where gold is going to play uh, in the next few years is in the midst of a recession, financial market, turmoil, those type of things, money will flow into gold. And that's what we're seeing now. Uh, you're seeing interest rates drop here. And the reason interest rates are falling in the U.S. is because we have negative yields everywhere else. Um, we also have economic weakness here that's beginning to really show up in a lot of kind of your off the main line indicators. So you're starting to see real concern here. So money is migrating towards safety, which is fixed income, treasuries, and gold. And that's what you typically see here. So, you know, from an investment standpoint, I need to talk about this from two different aspects because they are different. From an investment standpoint, owning gold now is a good hedge against potential volatility in the markets. And from that, we can see a target of $1,500 to $1,600, basically between now and, and maybe next year on gold. All you need is something to blow up on trade and gold's going to take off running. Um, from a longer term aspect, you know, there's hard, it's hard to say where gold's going to wind up, but owning physical gold in that standpoint is something that I think you can't really go wrong with, particularly from these levels. We've been consolidating. We got out of gold ownership uh, in 2013 um, when we started QE3. We were like, you know, there's no reason to own gold. There's no fear in the markets. Um, now we're going to start dealing with the debt issues. We're going to start dealing with the fallout of, of a decade of quantitative easing that will fail ultimately. And so gold, from a physical perspective, is going to have real value long term. What's the ultimate target on that? 2,000, 3,000? It's, it's impossible to say with any legitimacy, but I do think it is higher in years ahead. All right. Sounds good. Now, as we draw to the end of our conversation, I'm curious to get your thoughts because you hinted at earlier, us not really knowing where the next uh, prick of the bubble or, or the next domino to fall might actually occur. But yet, uh, a lot of people feel like it's going to be outside the U.S. this time, whether it be in the EU or whether it be in China. I'm curious to get your thoughts quickly on, you know, the EU situation. I guess they're anticipating in September starting their quantitative process again. And then just recently, President Trump referenced that uh, China is a currency manipulator. Looks like the yuan over the weekend reached a relatively all-time high or low, rather. So what, what are your thoughts on those two in industries there? Could, could something come from over that in the eastern region, in your opinion? Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think that whatever triggers potentially the impact here is going to actually start outside of the country. Um, it's, it's interesting, you know, Donald Trump, uh, you know, uh, President Trump, you know, labeled China as a currency manipulator, yet he's promoting policies in the U.S. He wants lower interest rates and quantitative easing. What does that do to our dollar if he does that? Well, that devalues our currency. So it's okay for us to devalue our currency to get a, an economic advantage, it's just not okay for anybody else to do it, right? Uh, so it's a little bit of a, a little bit of hypocrisy there. But you know, look, countries manipulate currency. We've been manipulating the currency of the U.S. dollar for 130 years. Uh, this isn't new. Um, we do it to make sure we balance trade, and we are a very global, flat, interconnected world now. Um, you know, we ship stuff overseas literally overnight, throw it on a plane, it's here the next day type thing. Um, so having a relatively stable currency relationship with other countries facilitates trade. And this is why the China, China has always pegged their currency to the dollar to some degree. They adjust it relative to their flows. Um, and, and so this is part of how trade works. And ultimately, though, with the, the, the big impact that I think comes uh, to your point about what you know, pops the next bubble, it's going to be something credit related. What causes that, that pop or that credit issue 
um, again, we don't know. It could be a big bank failure. I mean, Deutsche Bank is a, certainly a candidate for that. Um, there's a lot of other banks overseas that are on the verge of bankruptcy. You got countries on the verge of bankruptcy as well. Uh, these negative yields we're seeing across countries certainly suggest that something's much weaker uh, on a global basis than even what headlines are suggesting. So, you know, I wish I could tell you that it's going to be, you know, it's going to be the next Lehman that's going to be the problem. Unfortunately, nobody will know. And we'll, we'll know the day after it occurs, we'll go, oh, that was it. Um, but this is why it's important as investors, don't wait for the event to occur. If you wait for the event to occur, it's going to be too late to do anything about it. You're going to get swept up into the emotional panic of what it is, and you're not going to take the, the right actions. You know, it doesn't, as investors, we're not required to chase markets and get every little inkling out of the markets. Our goal is to buy assets that are fairly valued, sell them when they're at higher values, make money, and preserve our capital. That's, that's our goal as investors. And, and, our, and we're talking about our personal savings. I've worked hard for my money. You've worked hard for yours and certainly just want to throw it out the window. And this is, I think, a disservice the media does. They just they try to entice everybody to chase markets. That's not investing. Investing is about making good decisions with your money, buying value, selling rich, and, and, and managing that risk over time. There's a tremendous amount of risk in the markets right now, more so, I've been managing money for 30 years. I've never seen a market as risky as the one we're in now because of the debt issue. It could be six months, it could be a year from now, it could be two years from now, but the event is coming and there will be a lot of capital destruction. After a decade of a bull market, you've made a lot of money, take some money off the table, reduce your risk a little bit. What happens over the next two years is you're not gonna miss much of anything at all and, and you'll be happier if you took a little bit of risk off the table now and protected your capital. Wow, great information there. Uh, Lance Roberts, it's been great having you join us here on Rethinking a Dollar. For those that may not be familiar with your work, can you direct them to how they can find you and to uh, stay in tune with what you have going on? Sure, absolutely. So we uh, post a blog and newsletter every week, post a blog every day at realinvestmentadvice.com. So simply go there. It's an absolutely free site. You can uh, subscribe to our newsletter that uh, we talk about our investing strategy, our portfolios every week. Um, we have a lot of good information there. And then we post blogs every day on economics and investing and markets and money. So it's all there to help, help investors actually manage the risk and manage their portfolios better. Sounds good. Well, once again, Lance, it's been great having you on. We're thinking a dollar. Looking forward to continue to follow your work. And definitely, hopefully, in a couple of months, have you back on the show. We can see where we're at then and get your thoughts on the markets and the globe and everything else. So, once Love again, thank you. Yeah, anytime, Michael. Appreciate it.